Hi, this is the Life in Bomb City podcast brought to you by Emerald College's Social and Behavioral Sciences Department. I'm Aaron Favor. And I'm Dr. Beth Rodriguez. And we are recording in the FM90 and Panhandle PBS studios invading their space. Uh, thank you for listening. All right. Hey, Beth. <laughs> hey, how's it going? <laughs> how's it going? All right. We are back with uh, Wes Reeves, who is the spokesman for XL Energy here in Texas and New Mexico. XL is really gotten uh, in the news lately because uh, the launch of a new initiative, uh, 2050 Carbon Free. Uh, going to put you, you guys ahead of uh, people in the market all across the world. Is that right? You know, it, it really was uh, kind of a, the first of its kind. Uh, there have been a lot of talk about <clears throat> reducing carbon emissions and going carbon free. And uh, I believe uh, we were one of the first companies mm -hmm. to step out there and say, we're going to do it. Now, a lot of this uh, impetus has come from regulators in the states, you know, so you hear a lot about it from uh, especially areas uh, where they're more concerned. I guess there's a lot more concern about climate change and things like that. Uh, but uh, as far as I know, we're one of the first companies to come out and say we're going that far. Uh, there have been other companies that say we're going to reduce it by X amount or whatever. And this has been going on for the last decade probably. Uh, but we just kind of jumped out there and said, hey, we think it can be done. And so we're going to talk about 100%. And one thing I always tell, 100% uh, really for us means carbon emissions free. So I always try to clarify that because we have nuclear plants in the upper Midwest. Uh, we have hydro up there. We obviously don't have hydro power in the Texas Panhandle. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be uh, leaning on that heavily in some parts. And we still... We'll have uh, likely some natural gas-fired plants. And so, yes, there's carbon emissions. There, we could even see some coal plants along the way. In order, so Let me just go back up and say we're talking about 100%, meaning we know there are technologies out there to capture carbon. So uh, they're right at this point in time, they're not very economical, uh, so they're not being used. So we're, we're saying we know we can get to a certain point, roughly 80%. So they're actually a two-pronged uh, goal, 80% by 2030, and then uh, the stretch goal or the aspiration of 100% carbon emissions free by 2050. Uh, and so I, we, we believe in that last 10 to 20%, we're going to be depending on some new technologies uh, that we may not even know about right now. So Okay, so exciting. how are you getting there? What's the plan? So we're going to be adding, obviously, a lot of renewable energy. So uh, we've brought on wind for the last 15 to 20 years, we've been adding wind energy. And at first, it was just because we were told to. You know, these states came up with mandates because wind energy was very expensive. And so uh, to back up a little bit, the power company is going to add resources that are economical because we ultimately have to go to our commi uh, regulatory commissions and get recovery for those costs because uh, they set our rates. And if we're doing something crazy, they could say, we're not going to let you recover that cost. Uh, so their, their number one goal has been, all, all, for the most part, been the economics of our resources, making sure it's prudent. And they use that word prudent a lot. It's <laughs> something we don't use every day. Uh, so if it's not a prudent investment, we're not going to do it. Uh, so, so for these, uh, these other types of things, when we were mandated, uh, they at first were not that economical, but they've come down in price quite a bit. So we've been adding wind for the last few years just because it's cheaper than everything else. Uh, so we know we can add a lot of wind energy. Uh, we've had a little bit of solar on our system, but it's it's not there yet. But I think we're going to start adding a lot more solar. And uh, so the, back to that 80%, we think we can get to the 80% pretty easily by adding a lot of renewables and uh, depending on our gas generation. Now, gas does emit carbon and other things, but uh, it's not as intense. It's not as carbon int intense. Plus, gas is just dirt cheap right now. Uh, so there's no way you can ignore it in the system. Plus, another plus is until we get real storage capabilities where you can put wind energy into batteries, we need that gas to back it up because if the wind's not blowing someday, we still have to have the same amount of electricity available. So, so natural gas, solar, and, and uh, wind will probably be how we do it in this part of the world. Great. It's fascinating. So in, uh, I think, 2007, 2008, I remember Rick Perry was, was governor of Texas and uh, he proposed, I'm sure it wasn't driven by him, but rather the energy lobby and, yeah. and a bunch of other factors, but he proposed a Texas 2020 policy where the whole state of Texas would be 20% renewables by 2020. Um, I was fascinated to learn a couple of years ago that you guys had, had actually surpassed that far before 
when you were supposed to. Really, they, that was one of the early mandates, uh, and different states did it different ways, but Texas basically said, <clears throat> we need X amount of megawatt capacity that, to come from renewable, and the state as a whole blew through that, no pun intended, really quickly <laughs> because of wind energy. Uh, and so, yeah, for our region, of course, we're serving both Texas and New Mexico, and each state has a little bit different standards. Uh, but we, I'm like, think of the numbers, 2017 was the last year that I have accurate numbers. We were something like 23% wind energy uh, just for this region. And that's looking at a 12-month period, how much electricity was generated uh, and where, what were those uh, sources of, of generation were. And, and wind was, was way up there, a little bit of solar. Uh, and then we anticipate because of some wind farms that we're adding right now, that by 2022, we should be about 48% carbon-free just in Texas, New Mexico. So we're going to hit some – we're going to move along pretty quickly for a while. And then, as I said, you get toward the end of that goal, that's when it gets a little more interesting. How do you actually stretch it all the way to 100%? That's fascinating. It's, I mean, that's, it's a fascinating topic. It is. Okay, so my, my question on the wind farms. So do you already have land that you're doing the farms on, or do you, you know – Seek out from people who already own land, and what's the process You know, really, there? it's like it's kind of like oil and gas. So uh, you, you have landowners that have wells on their land, and that's exactly what it is with wind. So so the land, the footprint of these wind farms is really owned by private interests. Uh, we, and, and I say we, we have not to this point actually built any of these wind farms. They've been built by other companies, and then we just contract with them to buy their, their electricity. Uh, but we're actually now building our own down in Hale County near Plainview. And another one is proposed uh, near Portales in Roosevelt County, New Mexico. Uh, so we will actually own that facility, but the land itself is still owned by the landowners, which is a really cool thing. Is a whole other topic of discussion here for this area, rural area, that's, that's seeing the, maybe some issues with water declines. And, and so you don't have as much irrigated agriculture as you used to. These farmers and ranchers are looking for something else. So they're, they're generally very excited. And these are people that are, by and large, very conservative people politically. But when it comes to this, they know what it means for them personally, but also for their communities, because it also greatly uh, enhances the tax base. Uh, so if you're a little rural school like Petersburg, Texas, we're close to where this wind farm is going in, they've already started talking about a bond election so they can build a brand new school because they, they can see that their tax revenue is going to vastly increase. And otherwise, they don't have any tax base to build new schools. Uh, so it's going to be a, a really neat thing for them. Okay, I have a really cool story that my, my parents have a ranch. And, of course, they always talk about, what are we going to do whenever we die? Because that's what parents do. Uh, and I'm, um, I'm already doing that, too. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm only 50. And um, my son loves the ranch, and he's only 12. And I said, well, what would you do if... They did. And he said, well, you know, those big old huge wind thing. He said, I'd let them, you know, put some on my land and that's how I'd make some money. And I was oh, like, yeah. wow. <laughs> I was like, ahead. right. I was really shocked by that. But he did. And, it's and, cool that he's saying that because the, the, you know, the future generations are going to, it's going to be normal for them, I think, because we definitely are. Someone had said we're the Saudi Arabia of wind energy and we probably are for solar energy too. So that generation is going to see a lot of renewable development in this region. I like what you just now said that we're the Saudi Arabia of wind energy because I've only heard that that we're the Saudi Arabia of coal. Oh and yeah. So I mean, looking at if we're turning if we're turning in the right direction, then we're going to start seeing being the Saudi Arabia of wind energy. I don't exactly. really want to be the Saudi Arabia of anything, frankly. I know, I know, yeah. <laughs> no, she would, have to, she would have to dress differently. Yes, that was the case. <laughs> that's so. true, true. But, uh, but it, is, it is a really interesting factoid, and um, I can't believe I just used that word, but that's all right. <laughs> I love so, factoid. <laughs> uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in Milshoe, and uh, we had Tolk Station, the big coal plant, yeah. uh, right there. And... I could almost set my watch by the coal trains that would oh, come yeah. through and I would lay in my bed and you could hear the coal train coming through and you would look at the train and you would just see how many cars of coal every single one of those cars oh, had yeah. in it. It was just unbelievable amount of coal. And uh, over time, as you get older, in 16, 16 years we spent there and 16 years of coal running on time, on the clock, Every single day. Yeah. And it had been previous to that. I don't remember exactly when Tolk Station was built. 
Early to mid 80s, they kind of built it in phases. So. so this is Bailey County, Texas. Yeah. And I remember to speak to what you were, were talking about in uh, Roosevelt or yeah. uh, Roosevelt County. Or uh, Hale County. Hale County. Yeah. Uh, to, to speak to that in Bailey County, I remember that uh, for some reason or another, the city of Muleshoe had, there was some type of a local issue where they were kind of voting whether or not they wanted that extra tax revenue oh, yeah. to come in. And Sudan ended up getting some of the, the tax Revenue from that, they're the ones that got the really nice gym yeah. and all the really nice, cool. That was like, a big deal in the 80s when they built that plant stuff. because it, it did add a huge amount of property to the tax rolls uh, for the county and school districts and things like that. So, uh, you know, and that's what, that's what wind is doing, except it's spreading it out. So these power plants were central and they would be in one location. Now we're seeing these wind farms all over. And just one thing I want to kind of piggyback on is about coal, because we do, the nation has a huge supply of coal. And I personally, and I think our company believes this way too, we're interested in all sources of energy. We're just also very committed to not changing the environment. So uh, coal could, who knows, coal could be a huge part of that future if we find a, a, an economical way to capture the emissions from coal. Uh, and there's a lot of, lot of opportunities for that too. You actually can put it back into the oceans. You can put it back into the ground. Uh, because, you know, we're all carbon-based, and so it's not that it's a poison or anything. It's just that you don't want the certain concentration of it in the air. So that's really what we're looking for. And so I, I never want to come out to be anti-coal uh, because it is a great resource, and we've got a, we have an infrastructure for it. So, you know, if we're really smart, maybe we can figure out how to use that too. It kind of leads into another question about workforce, yep. right, and personnel. Uh, one, of, one of the things that uh, I thought of, specifically regarding uh, the, the movement in the industry towards wind energy is uh, what, what are we going to be doing uh, with the individuals that are employed uh, and, and how, are, how, are, how do they get retrained, learn new skills that are going to help them to be successful in the Yeah, you're, it's a good point. I mean, there's a, there's a workforce out down in, in the Muleshoe area, and these, these guys and ladies work in all these areas. They come from all these area towns, Sudan, Earth. Uh, you know all these places. And... Uh, <laughs> Definitely, you would you don't see the amount of employment on a wind farm. So we've got a wind farm going in, like I said, uh, in Hale County. Uh, I think we're estimating fifteen to twenty people that will be employed uh, full time. You know, in some fashion, one way or the other, uh, as opposed to maybe a hundred or so that are down that Tolk and uh, Plant X, which is a neighboring power plant that's connected to that sort of. Uh, so yeah, definitely there would be uh, opportunity. For younger workers to do something different, and when I say younger, a lot of our workforce at the company is is a retirement age or nearing retirement age. So I think, for instance, if if Tolk Station goes away, uh, which eventually it will, all power plants eventually go away, uh, you would see a lot of people just retiring or, or moving on to something else. You mean goes to heaven? Yeah, yeah, it goes to heaven. The, the, the power plants for <laughs> all power plants go to heaven. Yeah, they do somewhere. It, it, what's odd about Tolk, and this is like, yeah, you know, I'm getting on rabbit trails, but. Uh, the, the, the voltage that it generates. So you have the, the energy that it puts into the system, but you also have to keep a certain voltage uh, on the, the network. And so we're going to have to have something there spinning. And so they're looking at some other options too. If, if we reduce the operations, the output of TOC, we would probably put something in there uh, that would keep the, the support of the voltage. So there's always going to be something going on probably there uh, at TOC station. And, you know, we could look down the road at converting it to something else. So, I uh, always remind folks, these changes happen over time, so it's not an immediate thing. And I, and I think most of the, and I haven't really talked necessarily to all the workers down there, but I think they understand these things. By the time these changes happen, most of them may be retired by then. Right. Okay. So what are some of the new, um, I guess, I don't know, things that people are going to have to learn in order to move to this new type of industry rather than what we've been doing for so long? You know, I think a lot of it... Uh, in some ways will be the same in terms of we still need engineers uh, and we still need technical people. Uh, because when you took, look at a wind farm, they're still, they're power plants, basically. They're just, instead of having one central plant, you've got uh, 239 turbines or 239 power plants, you know, scattered around. So uh, there are definitely some different skill sets. There's some really some more physical type skill sets involved in that because uh, we'll have to have workers going in to the towers. And it's real interesting. I've learned all this. You you do climb up these towers, but they have uh, they have uh, 
uh, a get up kind of thing that helps pull you along too. So it's, I want to do this at some point. You kind of yeah. harness up into this thing and it sort of helps you. What it does is reduces your weight. So as you're climbing this ladder, you're not, if you, if you're a 200 pound man, you're actually more like a hundred pounds or something like that. So it, it's kind of helping yeah. fight against gravity. Uh, that's sort of a little aside there, but uh, <laughs> there's definitely a lot of new things that we've never done before. We haven't been climbing uh, into uh, you know eighty meter towers and things like that. But I think the the whole idea of the technical training is still going to be there. We're going to still need these engineers and uh, technical people to uh, to operate these things and to uh, and and the new technologies that come along with them. So I think this that's not going to change. Okay. One of the things that Beth and I talk a lot about. A lot is um, civil discourse in the country. Um, people that are going to be considered to be more conservative, uh, right wing, yeah. working with people that would be considered to be on the left side of things. And I think it's really powerful. It really states a lot that something, the Midwest kind of being a uh, an incubator for uh, traditionally more conservative, exactly. a conservative political base, um, going this far out and in terms of policy, you would really, I would personally, I would expect something like this to come out of the Northeast or mm-hmm. someplace like the Pacific Northwest um, on the national the national scale. Yep. And uh, somebody like Con Edison, for example, to come on and try to do some, yeah. something like this, not to mention not that they don't ever have any problems with blackouts. Uh, that's right. that's why all the, left, <laughs> yeah, that's where the blackouts have started sometimes. But. Right. See, I think it just shows that our area is, instead of just talking about it and saying, oh, what are we going to do? We actually do something. We see it. And um, I love that the workplace, you see things and you're looking in the future. Mm -hmm. It's not like, okay, let's look right now. Let's look tomorrow. But hey, 2050, let's look there and see where we can be. And I think that's really it. We've always had to do that as a utility because our our infrastructure is very expensive and it's very... uh, complicated. So you always have to be planning 10 and 20 years out anyway. So I've reminded people that these, these this fleet of power plants we have now, uh, they'll reach their end of life by that time anyway. So we've got to replace them with something. So why would you replace them with something with old technology? You want to go with something new uh, and stay on the cutting edge. And, and that's really, that plays a lot uh, into this. Uh, people forget it's not like we're going out and saying we're going to shut down all the coal plants. Well, the coal plants are, by and large, older. They haven't built a lot of new ones since the 70s and 80s. And, heck, that's going to be a long time ago, which you know, <laughs> when I stop to consider my age, you know. <laughs> a power plant, generally, when we put when we build a plant, we would kind of put it on the books for, uh, or we would say its lifespan was 40 years or so. We might put it on the books for longer. So, essentially, when you build, a say, a billion-dollar power plant, uh, it's sort of like we're as customers we're paying for that plant over 40 years or something, and so that's that plays into it as well. So if we shut down, uh, say, Tolk Station, if we close it early, we have to get the permission of our regulators to do that. So because it, it changes the payout on it, uh, ultimately it has to be paid for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's all at play in play right now. But that's what we're seeing all over the country. A lot of these coal plants are older, so they're just they're not necessarily being shut down because we're anti coal. It's just that they've they've reached their life the end of the life. Right. Okay. So, it kind of brings us to the next next uh, segment, which is going to be uh, regulation yeah. and how you see the regula- regulatory policy of uh, of electricity mm-hmm. and uh, energy um, changing over in by twenty fifty. So, I think that a, a lot of times when people Americans think about uh, climate change specifically, the first thing that they think about is the international push to move to a greener, yeah. a greener economy. And uh, so, for example, the the the, the Paris um, the Paris Accords mm-hmm. and uh, the the fact that the United States pulled out of that uh, recently. Um, not trying to pigeonhole anybody politically, I promise. No, uh, I, I, I <laughs> think it's I think it's great to talk about this because, because I, I want to talk about this. Okay, because. Really, it's it kind of it kind of says a lot to say that the national the national administration uh, is a player in the international political. Oh, for sure. But the in America, the independent businesses and the free market mm-hmm. has a bigger hand to play than the 
United States federal government. Exactly. So in a way, not to not to not to disparage of any politicians, but you guys are kind of taking the reins away from the federal government and saying, you know what, North North American Electric Liability Corporation, mm-hmm. I think we can do this better and make it more reliable and more functional. Um, if we do it this way, yeah, and it has nothing to do with politics. It really doesn't, and uh, you know, the the politics of the of the country tends to swing radically these days. You know, we'll go from left to right, right to left. So really, I think the uh, and at one time there was sort of this desire for the government to come up with some solution about climate change and for uh, em, uh, reductions in carbon emissions. There was a lot of talk about uh, carbon uh, caps and things like that carbon taxes. Uh, and really, it hasn't happened because we kind of swung real wide both directions. And uh, I, I think it's just a matter of, of just practicality. We that we as a as a uh, investor owned company, and that's primarily how electricity is generated in this country, you know, there's a lot of it through just privately, uh, or private investors. Uh, of course, you do have some public uh, type systems as well. But uh, everybody decided maybe just independently of one another, we've just got to set our own policy because ultimately we're the ones that are going to get stuck with having to do this. Uh, we're the ones that are going to have to try to convince our regulators that this is a good thing. And so uh, you've definitely seen that turn, I think, in the last uh, decade probably. But, you know, I back to politics because I, I always feel personally that what we're talking about should not be a political issue. I mean, I guess everything is politics, but uh, if you can just separate all the noise, and we, we don't do that very often, but we hear a lot of noise every day, just push that aside a little bit, and there's real, behind all that noise, there's real work going on. Uh, and someone pointed this out. Actually, Congressman Thornberry, one time I heard him say, people don't realize that every day in Congress we're actually getting stuff done. <laughs> all we hear about is the screaming, but there's, you know, we're hearing screaming about just two or three issues sometimes, but there's hundreds and thousands of hundreds or if not thousands of issues that they face and they're, they're taking care of it, you know? So there's real work going on. Uh, and I think it's just a matter of kind of, uh, stepping back a little bit and, and, and not paying attention to the noise and because the noisemakers are trying to get elected, you know, basically they're, they're wanting to fill their, uh, their coffers for the next election. And that's just how it's always been. Uh, so I think we get confused sometimes with, we call that reality, and it's really not. That's Absolutely. Just, that may be just my personal. I may not be Excel Energy talking. That may be me. But I think that that's where, I think that's where the company is coming from, too, that definitely we've got to take control of this situation because we're the ones that are going to have to be accountable for it. You know, in 40 years, these politicians will be gone, but our company is still going to be here, hopefully. And someone's going to say, why didn't you do something when you had a chance? So you're thinking about the, I mean, the company itself is certainly thinking about a master strategy for the 20, for the end of the 21st century. Exactly. And of course the mid 21st century being 2050 with y'all's new uh, awesome mandate and initiative. Um, and it's certainly an initiative with a capital I and underlined because uh, it's in bright colors, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it really is because I'm, I'm, do you know of any other companies in the United States that are on the level that y'all are? I was reading the other day, uh, to, I can't answer that right off the hand. There are only a few that have kind of come out with these uh, high-level uh, aspirations. Uh, like I said, we may be the only one so far that's just gone all the way and said, we're just going to go 100%. I think there's a lot of them that have looked at anywhere from 50 to 80% reduction, which is kind of where we have been in the last few years. You know, we keep saying we're going to – and it kind of goes back to the end of – at some point in the Obama administra- administration, there was a – an effort for carbon, uh, I forget what they call it now, but there was a, you may remember, but it was a carbon cap, uh, carbon, uh, not a tax, but a cap of some sort of cap and trade type system. And uh, so we were kind of playing along with that. And uh, to be honest, at first, we were kind of scared of that. We're like, oh, you know, what, can we do this? We kind of realized, hey, this isn't that hard. We can probably do this. And so we kind of were, and, and no, looking back, those, uh, those goals were, were not that big. Uh, when w- during that time when that was being proposed. I mean, it, we're, we're way beyond. No one was proposing 100% carbon emissions free at that time. Uh, so we have all stepped out there. And I think it's there's a lot of confidence in the, the uh, investor-owned companies and just the utilities in general that we've got technologies that are coming along so quickly. I don't think we would have felt comfortable 10 years ago saying this, but now we, we do. because And it's still a leap of faith, but there's a lot of, ba- there's a lot of uh, real... 
information that we're, we're working from too. Oh yeah. Um, so if uh, not only you're thinking about the customers and the, I guess the stakeholders, if you will, and the investors uh, for the company, but yeah. uh, the bigger picture um, on the global, on the global level, how, out of curiosity, what, what role is natural gas going to play in the future? It's going to have to be huge because and it's been sometimes talked about as a transition. You know, if you, if you ever have a day when there's 100% renewable, and, and I'll, I've got to say, you will not have 100% renewable unless you've got a way to store it because renewables are not dispatchable. You can't push a button and make the sunshine or the wind to blow. Pretty much around here, you can almost bet the wind's going to blow. But even then... <laughs> It's hard to predict, and so you've got to have something to help balance that out because ultimately, when I say we're going to be held accountable, we're going to be held accountable if the lights don't come on, you know, if we're starting to have blackouts and things like that. So everything we're talking about is within the framework of reliability and economics because we know we can't price electricity out of people's range. Uh, so we've got to keep it reasonably priced. And, and, and honestly, even though we've all complained about price increases if you look at the electricity over the past 50 years, it's actually come down in cost in real dollars. Uh, and we'll continue probably to see that uh, for the next uh, few decades. It's just one of those things that we get better at it. Uh, there's, there are greater economies of scale, and it's just going to come down in price. But we have to make sure because some of these things could get out of hand. You know, If we're not careful about it, we could be sticking our, our customers with huge increases to pay for this. And that's just something we're not going to do. Uh, so we've got to work with our regulators as we do this, and they understand that as well. Uh, New Mexico, a neighboring state, just passed uh, a very, uh, they call it the Energy Transition Act. I don't know if you've read up on that or not, but it's a very um, uh, aspirational type thing as well. And and forgive me, I can't remember offhand, but ultimately it leads to 100% too. And it's got different kind of uh, points in time where you're supposed to be at a certain level. And it actually sort of matches what we're doing. Uh, but we also were careful when we, we threw our support behind it, but we behind the scenes, we worked with lawmakers and, and said, you've got to build in some flexibility because uh, we can't compromise reliability and we can't make it too expensive. So if we're hitting some sort of threshold, we've got to back off a little bit. So, uh, so that's built into it for sure. I love that you just said that because a lot of times we do have these goals and we're going to get there. Yeah. And then because we're shooting for that goal, we miss out on the main point of what it is in the first place. Yeah. Why do we want electricity? <laughs> we want to make our lives yeah. easier and it's got to be depend. We got to depend on it and we got to be able to afford it. So, yes. and that's, you know, that's where a lot of folks that come in against all these initiatives, they say, you're, that's their number one concern. It's going to be too expensive. It's in, in the, the wind's not going to blow and then you're going to, your lights are going to go out. So, but I think they're oversimplifying it because like I said, all of these safeguards are built into these, uh, these new laws and these new initiatives, because we know we have to meet those two uh, key elements before we can move forward. Okay, so if you were to talk to people, some kids that are at Emerald College right now, and they are in the engineering program, this is something they want to do. What are two like tasks that you would um, like stake them with? Like, here's oh, what yeah. I. This is what I need you to. This is what I need you to do to prepare. Yes, for. for for us in the future. You know, one thing, and this may be totally off base, but I really think uh, critical thinking. And so even if you're going to be an engineer, uh, you've got to have an open mind and you've got to be able to be flexible. So if there's a way, I don't know exactly if there's a critical thinking class, right? But it, I mean, take philosophy classes and take uh, take a lot of writing, uh, learn how to communicate and articulate because I'm that's sort of my background. And i Feel like I don't do that great at it sometimes, but I, I really see most of the problems in any sort of situation, corporate or nonprofit, is communication, lack of communication, lack of understanding. So I think that's just critical to, to get those skills uh, nailed down and to be able to to roll with the punches, you know. So so there's that, but definitely the technical end of it. So stay on stay on top of anything cutting edge. I'm I'm actually on the Emerald College Foundation board. And we met yesterday, and we got to walk through. Uh, I never know what I'm looking at because I'm not a technical person, but 3D printing. I was just like, I can't believe they're doing this, you know. And so, because so uh, AC Foundation provided some funding to help uh, provide, I guess, buy some of these 3D printers. And so, I mean, it's just incredible what you can do at Amarillo College. I mean, I, I'm totally for Amarillo College, and I did not go to a community college. Uh, went uh, straight from Wellington, Texas, to the University of Texas at Austin, which was 
crazy transition. <laughs> but uh, looking back on it now, it's like I would encourage most kids to maybe do community college right here at home. It's cheaper, and you're going to learn a lot more, I think. And you got to get those basics, and that's another thing. Just try to master those basics and, uh, and then move forward from there. I don't know if that answered the question sure or not. Sure, it did. So. Yes, absolutely. I think that I think that our our college is doing an exceptional job with uh, on two two or three different fronts. But one of them is certainly being able to look forward and 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 preparing people to do the types of uh, the type of thinking that you're talking about. It's something that Beth and I talk about all the time. Yeah, you as teachers necessity. probably see you see when you see the lack of it, you mm-hmm. you get frustrated. I'm sure. Oh, so because we you know a lot of these, and I'm not damning our education system, but you grow up through elementary and junior high, you're, you're supposed to be passing tests. And I think sometimes we, that our students are just programmed, I just got to pass a test. And it's way more than that, you know, and, Absolutely. and it's hard, it's hard to do because you do, you do have to hit those standards. But right. so I feel sorry for you. That's kind of hard to do. But <laughs> I did have a student the other day that I was asking a question and he said, well, why don't you just tell us? Yeah, <laughs> just, give us just give us the answer, oh right? Gosh. And I was like, because that's not what happens. I'm, like, I'm not here to tell you. I need you to think. And it's frustrating in real life, whether it's your job or your marriage or whatever, you have Absolutely. to ultimately figure it out, you know, mm-hmm. and if you don't figure it out, it's not going to work. So that's my big advice as an old man here. <laughs> <laughs> see it, see it, two, two things, uh, reliability and pricing. Uh, so Southwestern Public Service, uh, back in the day, yep. <laughs> I have to say back in the day because it was the late 90s. Yeah, so it wasn't that long ago. Well, when, it kind of was, but. Yeah, when the when President Clinton and his administration deregulated the electricity market. Yeah. Um, and Southwestern Public Service was offering uh, wholesale electricity, I believe, at way lower prices than most of the other companies its size. Yeah. Um, what, what what made it so attractive? And I think because the reason I'm asking that is because I think it, that the fact that it was so attractive uh, to try to get it to I mean, merge with other companies, yeah. because that happened really, really fast yeah, afterwards. There was a lot of merging going on at that time. And yeah, so what happened was the states actually, a, a lot of individual states began to deregulate. Uh, and when I say deregulate, that what they were doing is providing what's called customer choice. And so you split the company. So we're an integrated company. We generate electricity, we distribute it, deliver it, and then we bill you for it. So it's from get from the start to finish, it's all us. So uh, states were beginning to say, let's split those companies up where you have just a generating company and then you have... Uh, a delivery company, and then you have retail companies like with your phone service, and you get to pick and choose. And a lot of states, several states went that direction, and they ran it. The, some of the models weren't set up very well. So California went that way and actually then pulled back because California had a disastrous experiment with deregulation. It's the, and, two, the, early, the 2000 to 2006. They had blackouts. Rolling and their blackouts. prices went it just went through the roof. So there was something, and I won't get into that because I'm not smart enough to know what happened, but it was not set up correctly. So Texas, and here's the weird thing, and I think you know this. So, uh, the the if you look at North America, there's really three grids. There's east, west, east and west, and then there's Texas, and it's not even our part of Texas. It's just the downstate part of Texas, which actually is its own little island, and it's called. It's referred to as ERCOT, which is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, and uh, so that's Dallas, you know, North Texas on all the way down. The Panhandle and South Plains are actually part of the eastern grid. So ERCOT, the ERCOT portion of Texas also deregulated. So if you move to Dallas now, uh, you can actually choose your power supplier. And really all you're doing is just choosing who bills you because the power is still generated the way it always was, and there's still regulated companies that deliver it on the lines. But So it's not like there's 80 set of power lines down the alley. There's still just one. Uh, so I, I'm probably getting off on that, but... Uh, definitely it's, it's set up differently. And what was the original question now? Cause then I went crazy off onto <laughs> where I think it was, uh, what made Southwestern public service specifically oh, at yeah. that time so attractive. Oh yeah. So and how does that, how is that playing into now? Because yeah. they, at the time in the night, in the late nineties, they were seemed to be cutting edge in terms of pricing. Yeah. And I don't know how they were able to do that, but at the same time, now here we are, uh, 20 years later, and 20 years older, yeah, guys. older, <laughs> um, definitely. 20 years older, and they're, once again, the same group of guys, the same group of gals, the same group of individuals are now in charge of the company yeah. and pushing it into brand new territory. Yeah, so we were going to, and so to take you back, this area, and when you say Southwestern Public Service, that's actually 
the original old company that served Texas, New Mexico. And then when we began our series of mergers, uh, we became just an operating company of a holding company. So Southwestern Public Service is still a legal entity. And so it's still the legal company that serves here. Uh, but so when the rest of Texas deregulated, we were an oddball because we weren't part of that grid. We were going to deregulate too. And they came up with some way we were going to do that, where we were going to have to sell like our big power plants, Tolk and Harrington, uh, to another company and then buy the power back from them. It was, so basically when they looked at it, because our price was really cheap up here, and it was, at the time we were just really an island unto ourselves, and it just was not going to work. So they exempted us from that because we weren't really part of a larger market where you could, uh, you have to have a big, uh, robust market in order to do that. We are actually now part of a larger market. We're still not part of the Texas market. Uh, we're part of the Southwest Power Pool, so it's uh, a dozen or so states right down the middle of the country that actually operate a single wholesale market now. So that has changed quite a bit, whereas in the late 90s, we were just sort of our own market. And then we had these uh, co-ops around us. So you grew up in Muleshoe, and I believe it's Bailey County. There's a co-op. They were actually purchasing all of their electricity from us because they had no choice. They couldn't get it anywhere else, and they weren't generating their own uh, so along the way, too, uh, the federal government sort of deregulated the power grid, the, the transmission grid. And so that's the backbone of the grid, and it's now uh, open access to anybody who can generate power. They can buy space or rent space on these lines, and we can move power across states now that we couldn't do then. So now Bailey County and these other uh, co-ops can actually just go out on the market and purchase electricity. So they've, we've actually moved away from wholesaling uh, because it, you know, we were offering a really good price and it was a good deal, and we still have some wholesale contracts, but uh, but that's changed quite a bit, and that has to do with the change of policy and just the the, the way the grid has been built up together. So yeah, it gets crazy. I mean, yeah. you can go so many different directions with this, uh, but we've invested. Uh, I forget. By the time we get to twenty twenty two or three, we will we will have invested something like three billion dollars in new transmission lines. Uh, and that's the, the big high-voltage lines that take the power from the power plant into the cities. Uh, and that's enabled us now to be part of this market because we can actually import and export uh, four times as much electricity than we could even 10 years ago. So it's kind of like the Internet. I it mean, is. The trans- and them deregulating the transmission yeah. lines was kind of like opening up and saying, hey, here's the Internet. Go, go on and eBay. That's a or- great example of where deregulation really worked and did something good because we couldn't have done that before, I don't believe. So now that you've got open access, it's sort of like the interstate highway system. Everybody can get a, take an 18-wheeler and go deliver goods on this system, uh, connected all these markets that weren't connected before. So, uh, so now what's great about renewable now is we couldn't generate a lot of renewable energy here because there was nowhere for it to go. We could only take so much of it. Now these generators can send electricity. Primarily they send it east from here. Uh, and we call it wheeling. And so we'll wheel it over our system to another utility somewhere else. So that's opened up. That's what helped develop renewables, too. That's so neat. <laughs> it's, it just gets so – I'm just I'm a rabbit trail kind of guy here. I could go <laughs> off in so many different directions. So just pull me back if you need hey, me to. Well, we've got the sod poodles here in yeah. town that just opened this week. <laughs> you know, so I was there last night. The tunneling – systems and uh, going down yeah. ra- rabbit yeah. holes, yeah. I think is probably a, not a bad analogy for that. our area. I'm really good at that. <laughs> How was the game, by the way? You know, I left a little early because it uh, was with some friends and it was kind of cold. And uh, anyway, so I hate to admit that, that I left early, but we had a we had a blast, you know, and I think I can't wait for warm weather because it's going to be so nice out there. Mm-hmm. It's a great place. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back, if, if it's okay with you, I'd really yeah. like to kind of go back and look at the the global international energy market yep. um, just for a little bit to see how um, Excel is going to be competitive and how the, how you see the raw materials um, that we use to generate electricity, not just to be able to, and then at that point uh, later on, I want to be able to go back all the way to the very, f- to the back end, which is going to be the, where, where it gets sold, if that's okay. Yeah, with you. yeah, sure. So, uh, so for example, taking, uh, taking a country like, uh, like Russia that has massive amounts of uh, natural gas and likes to likes to parlay it, yeah. so to speak. Get, with, uh, they get mad at you. you they cut the power cut off. off. Yeah, yeah they're, uh, they're really bad about exactly. that. Exactly. But uh, but you, if they're not pirating it and you know using it as ransom with another with another foreign state, mm-hmm. they do have a lot of raw materials in terms of natural gas. So when they liquefy that natural gas and 
they have a growing market. And we've kind of established here during our conversation that natural gas is going to play a major role in uh, in the future of energy yeah. policy, even in the United States. So do we have plans to have regasification plants? Uh, you know, as far as I know, and I've been, I haven't read up on this in a while, but there, there are now terminals on the Gulf Coast that can and they, oddly enough, they were originally built because we thought we were running out of gas, and we thought we we're going to have to buy a bunch of gas from Russia or somebody and and liquefy it and use it here. And all of a sudden, and what's changed is uh, our our oil industry has changed in this country. We we have new techniques. You know, this whether you like it or not, fracking, uh, horizontal drilling unlocked vast stores of oil that we kind of knew that were there, but we just had no way of getting it because they're locked into rock formations, basically. So the Permian Basin, which has been long uh, one of the greatest oil fields in the world, kind of had dwindled, and now it's back in the top five or whatever in the whole world. So they're they're doing a lot of fracking in, uh, you know, Midland, Odessa, over into our territory, which would be Carlsbad, Hobbs, New Mexico, in that direction. Uh, so what it's done, though, it's brought up all this gas, and they don't have a way to even transport it. So they built some pipelines, which is largely the reason why gas is, and this is weird, they're, they're actually in some cases paying people to take the gas from them. So it's become almost negative pricing because there's just so much gas. So ultimately, if they develop the infrastructure for it, they want to get that gas down to the Gulf Coast where these, uh, these facilities are, liquefy it, and export it. So that's still, apparently that's still a ways off. I mean, even though that, that idea is there and they've got some of the infrastructure, it's just... It's taking a long time to get that done. So that'll sort of change the world market. And then you talk about international policy. All of a sudden, the United States has a, a card to play. You know, we're, we're actually, oh, I think we're almost, this sounds crazy, we're almost the world's leading oil producer. And, and uh, that's unbelievable because we were, you know, we, in fact, we may be. Now, we're not the world's leading exporter because we're taking a lot of that and using it here. In fact, I think until last year, we were forbidden to export oil, but now they have export facilities and some of this oil is going out. Uh, so, you know, Saudi Arabia, again, has always been the world's leading exporter, but I think we may be producing as much oil as Saudi Arabia now. That's changed in the last decade. Uh, I just never thought that would happen in my lifetime. I thought oil was an old industry that was going away. So like a cartel, like a OPEC. It's great, uh, you know, and so we're set up so differently because we're a free market, whereas Saudi Arabia and these places, really, there's a lot of government control over these things. And they tried to run us out of the business a few years ago. They tried to bring the price so low that the United States would quit drilling for oil. But here's, what, here's why we're, uh, you know, we're a good country, I think. We've got a good system. We have this free market, and our people figured out a way to do it cheaper. And it, it really surprised uh, OPEC. They weren't ready for that. So we had a break-even point of maybe $60 a barrel. We brought it down to $40 a barrel, and we could still make money. So that, that messed up their plans. So the United States oil industry is definitely a huge player. And so that, you know, that re- how that plays into electricity is so much electricity is generated from natural gas. And so uh, we're not seeing natural gas generators go away anytime soon because you have virtually a f- almost, in some cases, a free fuel, uh, just like with wind energy, you're going to use it. And it's clean. It's clean compared to coal in terms of the emissions. And uh, definitely we have environmental issues that we have to take care of with a gas plant, but we're going to continue seeing that being built. Uh, and a lot of the cheaper electricity we're importing now is coming from natural gas plants that were built in the east, like Oklahoma and that direction, uh, that uh, can generate it so much more efficiently than okay. So you grew up in Muleshoe. There's a there's the Toke plant and there's the Plant X. People always laugh about this Plant X. What is this place? <laughs> but it was built in 19 the original unit was built in 1952. It is still running today. <laughs> so that is the granddaddy of all power plants for X us. X factor. It's it's a natural gas f- uh, steam uh, unit, and it's not efficient. It's not nearly as efficient as something you build today, but because gas is so cheap, uh, we're still using it because it's like, and we've talked about retiring it. We've even you know, made some plans that we'd like to retire that plant, but we're like, do we really need to? We don't know yet because uh, gas is cheap and we still need that electricity. So uh, there was another rabbit trail I went off on. Sorry about that. Oh, but. No. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Canada and the United States of America – and then we have parts of the grid. It doesn't just, this is one of the things about, I think, 
they make about about the electricity market that separates it from many other markets yeah. is the fact that the electricity grids are connected. Yeah. They're interconnected and they pass over borders. They're like almost apolitical in exactly. a way. And so how does that change the outlook for the future? For example, as we continue to develop our electricity, particularly with the, with the reliability of mm-hmm. electricity at the forefront, I know that that's what everybody is pushing for yeah. to make sure that everything is reliable. Exactly. Um, that's the same, by the way, that's the same trend in national security. They want to make sure everybody is reliable, yeah. quote unquote. I like reliable people too. I do too. Yeah. I do too. Um, that's why I have like Beth on here. That's right. That's right. Um, but that's, that's so sweet. That was really nice. I know, wasn't it? <laughs> I could not do this show without my, without my partner and cohort. So, um, understand. also my office, uh, also my office, uh, neighbor. But anyway, uh, there's so many different things. So do you think that in the future, and we're really kind of, we're, we're going to play kind of spitball spit here. Yeah. If you perceive in the future that there will be a North American, a North American electricity grid that in many ways will be, will operate purely by off of reliability, not political mm-hmm. at all, just reliability. You know, it's hard to say we're, we're a pretty big country, you know, and so in terms of space. And so when I talk about those grids, you have uh, east and west. And the reason it was sort of done like that, because, the, well, the country developed, you know, from the coast inward in some ways. And so uh, you get into some kind of wilderness areas in the middle of the Rockies, you know. So uh, there, electricity generates, uh, you know, it's basically electricity flowing over wires is coming in a wave, an invisible wave. And so... Everything has to be in sync all the time. So all these generators are actually in sync with each other in the east. They're not. They're a little bit off from what's over in the west. So they're not generating exactly in sync. So we can move electricity from the east to the west, but you have to convert it to direct current and then back to alternating current on the other side. Now, this is getting into physics, I guess, more than anything else. So it's kind of expensive. So it's been sort of cost prohibitive to do that. So we, for the foreseeable future, I think we'll still sort of be divided in that way. Uh, but who's to say uh, with new technologies and in, in transmission that we couldn't eventually link up? But I think they also, while we like to be linked, uh, you know, we have these regional authorities on the east. I think that there is some value into uh, having different levels of oversight of the grid where you're not just one one grid. I think that because conditions are different, you know, uh, depending on you're in the plains or you're back in the northeast somewhere. The Sorry, I keep getting away from my microphone. Uh, but uh, So I'm kind of just guessing. I don't know for sure if that will change anytime soon. I think what we're going to see more of probably in some ways is a decentralization. We'll always have this central grid, but there is definitely a move toward decentralized uh, power generation, and that could be even your rooftop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of technologies are enabling you to generate your own electricity uh, and still be connected to the grid. It's a little bit problematic right now, and I get asked this a lot because, you know, why isn't your company promoting that? Well, it's not really beneficial for us or our customers right now to do that, uh, and and uh, we still have to pay for this central grid. And so if you're if you're putting uh, rooftop solar on your house and you're not paying very much, you know, you're generating most of your electricity, you're still actually connected to a grid that you're he- you need to help pay for as well. And so if you're not putting much back into it in terms of dollars, your neighbors are paying more for it. So we got to try to figure out a way to even that out somehow, unless everybody has solar panels on their roof which probably isn't going to happen anytime soon. There's a payout period. You know, you, I don't know how much these unit, these systems cost, twenty dollars or $30,000, and it will take a while based on today's uh, electricity prices to actually make that back up. Mm-hmm. We still see people doing it because they like the, they like the control that they have, and I, you know, I think a lot of people just want to do it because they feel like they're doing something good. And they can actually put uh, you know, clean power back into the grid, and they do get paid for that, uh, but not the way it's set up now. You're not getting paid the same amount you would buy electricity for. Because when you're buying electricity, you're not only paying for the electricity that's generated, you're paying for the power lines and everything else that goes into it. Uh, so that's an ongoing uh, issue. How do we make that fair for everybody? But it's I think a, we'll see that. It's kind of a really, it's a fascinating political issue too, yeah. because that you get into a landscape where we're talking about something like, uh, I Okay, two different things come to mind. First of all, public education. Yeah. Um, people that 
maybe don't have a, any stakes anymore or they don't believe that they have any stakes anymore, meaning they don't have children in public education mm-hmm. anymore. They don't believe that they should have to pay into the system or um, they, uh, for some reason or another, don't support the public education system and therefore don't feel like they need to. They should have the option to opt out, yeah. so to speak. And I feel like that's kind of a good analogy for what you're talking about in terms of people generating and sustaining their own uh, energy at home. But in addition to that, we also have the, the wonderful uh, issue that you brought up about the decentralization mm-hmm. of, uh, of the regulatory organizations across the country and across the continent. So one of the reasons that, that makes it a strength, uh, if they got ever got attacked, we have different organizations exactly. that have different strengths with different weaknesses and able to kind of prop each other up. Uh, it was one of the things that, that prepared us to uh, not, I suppose, uh, be at the the whim of the of the Russians, so to speak, in yeah. the last in the last election, and I think there's you know some national sovereignty issues in that too. So there's always a desire to have some control and and not put all your eggs in one basket, right? And I think that's why we'll see a lot of uh, decentralization of a lot of that too. Well, Wes, thank you so much, Beth. This has been absolutely fascinating. Oh, man, I could just keep talking. I so. know. Well, we I could. said <laughs> this is the topic I'm going to really have to study. Yeah. Before we talk about it, because I don't want to come in going, but even though I was looking at your website, and that's something that um, if anybody's listening and they have questions, they should definitely go to your website because you have a lot of information talking about this new initiative. And that's really what I looked at. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a fascinating. And even though I prepared, I still am floored at all the stuff that goes on with electricity. And we want, you know, ultimately, you as a customer, you're paying for this, it's your system. And uh, so we don't want to make these top-down decisions. We want people to be involved in this. And we do take a lot of surveys, and we do talk to customers a lot. And so a lot of these decisions are based on what we're hearing uh, from around the, the country. And so we'll, we'll always be willing to make changes. And, uh, you know, just because we say one thing, and, you know, in, by 2050, I will probably not be working. I don't know. I may, may not be alive. <laughs> yeah, I might be alive. I don't know. But, you know, it'll be another set of people that will have to see this happen. Uh, but so we want to, we want to make sure we're flexible, but we're going to, we're just, we've got aspirations and that's what a lot of this is. I love, I love the aspirations. And, um, I know that, uh, to bring it back to, to our, to our college, we really appreciate, uh, you coming on here and discussing oh, this yeah. amazing dream that you guys have put together. And, uh, if there's anything that our, that, that Emerald College can ever do to help you out, please come just let us know. And keep making future workers for us because so, we're all getting old, you know, so we've got to bring new people on. So I'd encourage, uh, here's one of my last thing, we run out of time. People that are growing up here, you've got opportunities to stay here and work. We don't want to export you to another part of the state. So please consider looking at the local companies because you can make a great career right here at home. Amarillo is really a great place to live, you know. Don't worry about the wind. You're going to have something else somewhere else. So, <laughs> so, true. so we want y'all to be aware of that. Any students that are listening, you've got opportunities here and a lot more to come. Thank you so much. We applaud everything that you're doing. We, I thought this was an amazing conversation. Well, so. it was fun. Thank you all so much for having me. Uh, that concludes our podcast for today, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> See you.